At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare i'm so excited to tell you jc penny and country music singer songwriter walker hayes are partnering together on a new limited time men's collection for the everyday guy What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. Call Trump's lawyers, Judge Merchan. Do it now. Do it right now and tell them to put their client's fat ass on a plane and get it back to New York within six hours or you will jail their client and them for contempt of court. At roughly 2.45 Eastern yesterday, you told the defendant and the prosecutor, please refrain from making statements that are likely to incite violence or civil unrest. Do not use rhetoric that could jeopardize the rule of law. At roughly 8.45 Eastern time yesterday, the defendant incited violence and jeopardized the rule of law, and he attacked the district attorney, and he attacked the district attorney's wife, and he attacked you, Judge Merchan, and he attacked your family. And on behalf of the rule of law, and on behalf of civil peace in the United States of America, and on behalf of yourself and the DA and the inviolability of the courts, drag defendant Donald Trump back into your court today and hold him in contempt and then put him into a cell at Rikers Island. This is where we are right now. I have a Trump-hating judge with a Trump-hating wife and family whose daughter worked for Kamala Harris and now receives money from the Biden-Harris campaign and a lot of it. The criminal is the district attorney because he illegally leaked massive amounts of grand jury information. For which he should be prosecuted or at a minimum he should resign. And Alvin Bragg's wife confirmed a report that claimed her husband has Trump nailed on felonies. She has since locked down her Twitter account. What more 
does the defendant have to do, Judge Merchan? He already threatened death and destruction. He already reposted an article with a photo of him wielding a baseball bat next to a photo of the head of the district attorney. And yesterday, as you were warning him, but also as you were bending over backwards to protect his First Amendment rights, as you were saying those things to him, his idiot sons, Junior and Fredo, were doxing your own daughter on every social media site they could find. And if you don't put them under a gag order, what exactly does the rule of law mean in this country? What exactly is the point of having laws in this country? What exactly, Your Honor, is the point of having judges and district attorneys and cops if their words mean nothing? And a psychotic, narcissistic piece of shit criminal like Donald Trump can leave your courtroom and get on his private jet and go to his private club and pick up right where he left off, not merely endangering you and your wife and your daughter and the DA and his wife and everybody connected with law enforcement in New York and Washington and America, but endangering, as you yourself phrased it, the rule of law by, as you yourself also phrased it, making statements that are likely to incite violence or civil unrest. What more does Trump have to do? Pull out a gun on Fifth Avenue and shoot you? Or say something like that again? Or inspire one of his brainwashed, gun-fetishizing, hate-filled fascist mob to attack your daughter? Trump is in contempt of court right now. Jail him! He is, in fact, in contempt of America. He is always and will forever be in contempt of America. America means nothing to him. Your words mean nothing to him. The law means nothing to him. He will understand only punishment. Punish him. Judge Merchan, as you were warning him, as you were calmly, responsibly, even-handedly warning the defendant and the district attorney to avoid dangerous rhetoric. The defendant's sons were putting out your daughter's photo so she can be threatened and attacked and added to the list of the hundreds and hundreds of upstanding and honest Americans who have become the targets of the mob because it's violent, depraved, despotic leader has made them the targets of the mob at the very hour, your honor. And then they hid behind the argument that no, they weren't doing that. They had simply posted an interesting article about your daughter from a British newspaper. And it wasn't their fault that the article had her picture on the link and anybody who says they posted her photo is lying. And, and, and the descendant of Nazis, literally, one of the hacks defending Donald Trump Jr., doxing your daughter, Judge, by calling the reporter who called Jr. out a, quote, actual descendant of Nazi war criminals and heir to a Nazi fortune, unquote. That's where we are in this country right now, Judge Merchan. Hours after you bent over backwards to protect Donald Trump, the defendant, 
the vile creature who has already stochastically threatened your daughter twice since you warned him to tamp down the rhetoric. Put a gag order on Donald Trump Jr., Your Honor. Put a gag order on Eric Trump, Your Honor. Put a gag order on them and put their madman father in jail because your gesture of fairness and balance and integrity did nothing but to embolden these mentally defective bullies. And the results were immediate, and they do not just endanger you and your daughter and your family and Alvin Bragg and his family. They endanger America. Please refrain from making statements that are likely to incite violence or civil unrest. Six hours after you made those statements. And by the way, Your Honor, those statements were made not in the controlled environment of a courtroom, nor even in the one-dimensional world of social media. They were made live on national television in this country because we have laws about exactly where on the wave frequency Channel 13 somewhere can put out its signal, but there is not a damn thing, not one damn thing that can even begin to influence the billionaires who have just bought the nation's original all-news cable channel for the sole purpose of neutralizing its reality and corrupting it into another right-wing propaganda machine. CNN, Your Honor. CNN carried the entire goddamned Trump speech without warning, without editorial judgment. And Trump used them. Trump used the idiots who now own and run CNN, the fascists who have bought CNN, to amplify the attack on you and on your daughter and on Alvin Bragg and on his wife and on America. Because having learned nothing from 2016 or 2020, CNN televised the entire hate-filled, narcissistic, paranoid speech by the defendant live. Not just the start through the first reference to Bragg and then showing clips of anything relevant, but saying we cannot show this live God knows what he will say or what he will tell his idiot followers to do. But the whole thing was shown live. The entire catalog of Trump repeatedly and unsuccessfully trying to hammer in the last nail in self-crucifixion after self-crucifixion, literally going back as far as but her emails, but focusing on his newest targets, you and Alvin Bragg. It was unconscionable, unjournalistic, unforgivable, and as I have suggested here for months, Your Honor, part of the quest by the new ownership of that channel to show itself to the fascists, to tell them that if the fascists regain power in this country, they should let CNN live and keep making money. And also part of the quest by CNN's desperately failing in over his head, drowning president, a man named Chris Licht, to show himself to that new ownership and to beg that they not fire him and end forever his career of remarkably consistent mediocrity, manipulation, and machination. A man who could not tell the moral difference between a fascist and an old-fashioned. And it's only too goddamned bad, Your Honor, that you can't issue a warning to Chris Licht that if a television channel, his or anybody else's, amplifies the hate speech of the defendant as he violates the orders of the court, your court, 
that the network can be held liable, that its president and owners can be held liable for the threat, the ever-mounting threat against the judges and the district attorneys and the families and the friends and the cops and anybody else who tries to thwart Donald Trump or tries to get Donald Trump to behave like a human or just tries to get Trump to not light this country ablaze. This cannot continue, Judge Merchan. This man will destroy this country, and he will not have to do as much as try to rise from his chair to do so. It will be done for him by proxies and servants and worshipers and the scum whom he has enabled to hate and pursue and attack. They will have destroyed America before any of us can do a goddamn thing about it. But you, judge, you can do something about it now. Maybe enough to stop it now. You told Trump what not to do, and he immediately did it again. As he always does it again and again and again on national television, in front of crowds, in front of mobs, in front of the simple-minded, in front of those who dream of killing other humans because they would think it was fun. Bring Trump back into your courtroom and scream at him for 30 minutes and then have the guards drag him to a cell for 24 hours or 48 hours or the rest of his goddamned life for all I care because that is the only thing he will ever understand. And the only thing that the slime that follow him and emulate him and seek to be the sadist he is, that is the only thing they will ever understand. And if there had been a shadow of a doubt that this was true, it was erased last night. Your instructions went in one ear and out the other in less than six hours. Save this country, Judge Mershon. Donald Trump's contempt for you and for the rule of law is more than just the technical violation of a warning you gave him in court yesterday. It is the essence of his being. And Donald Trump's being is sick and evil and uncontrollable and left unpunished. It will destroy everyone and everything that is good about this country we call home. Happily, I can report a victory in the American fight against American fascism. In the election yesterday to decide control of the Wisconsin State Supreme Court, Janet Protasiewicz defeated Dan Kelly, giving the liberals a 4-3 margin there for the first time since 2008. That not only protects choice in Wisconsin, but it would preclude the extremely aggressive anti-democracy forces in that state from using the state Supreme Court to alter or erase the presidential choice of Wisconsin's voters next year. 4-3 liberals. Now, you may know I did two episodes yesterday, the regular Countdown podcast and a special update in the afternoon after the arraignment of Trump. And I think we can both agree, don't get me started on that again. I need a psychological break from all that, at least for a little while. 
Normally, that's the new baseball season at this time of year. Nearly a week into it, it struck me that something's missing. Something's wrong in baseball. It is as if I am at a great game and the seats on either side of me are empty. It dawned on me last night, finally, why I feel that way. Those seats are metaphorically empty. Two of the greatest poets and conveyors of the game are gone. Permit me to spend the rest of this edition of Countdown remembering again our irreplaceable losses of Tim McCarver and Vin Scully. That's next. This is Countdown. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com news. That's LifeLock.com news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. It was the night I was writing the third episode of this series of podcasts, August 2nd of last year, and just as I prepared to record the show, the sad news came in, my friend had died. My friend, Vin Scully. Saying those four words had been one of the great privileges of my life for about 35 years. There is sports in this podcast. I was a sportscaster. I worked for ESPN four different times. But this was and is primarily to be a news and politics podcast. And I had no hesitation that no matter how much I wanted this to be news and politics, I knew how the episode for August 3rd, 2022 should begin in memory of Vin Scully. On 
On April 4, 1999, the New York Yankees played an exhibition game against the Los Angeles Dodgers at Dodger Stadium in Los Angeles. And my friend, the Yankees play-by-play announcer Michael Kay, was shaking like a leaf. He spoke softly to me, almost in a whisper. Michael does not speak softly. I need you to do me a favor. I'm nervous just asking. I'm embarrassed just asking. Can you... He sighed heavily and ran a hand through his hair. Can you introduce me to Vin Scully? Michael Kay was starting his eighth season that day as a Major League Baseball play-by-play announcer. He had that in common with Vin Scully. They did the same job. He also went to the same college as Vin Scully, Fordham University. He had no reason to be nervous about meeting Vin Scully, except that's Vin Scully. I told Mike there was no reason to be nervous, though I knew he would be. But I also told him, sincerely, there really was no reason to be embarrassed. I first moved to Los Angeles in August 1985, and I went right to the top of the guys doing sports on the local TV newscasts there back when that meant something. Soon I was also on the all-news radio station during drive time, which in L.A. is literally drive time. Vince Gully was technically a colleague of mine. And that did not matter a lick. Through the rest of the 1985 baseball season, I could not summon the courage to go and introduce myself to Vin Scully. Through the rest of the 1986 season, I could not summon the courage to introduce myself to him. Through the rest of the 1987 season, through almost all of the 1988 season, and then late in that year, I switched jobs, got a big pay raise. I was nearly 30, and I said, I have to do this now. And when I finally said... Excuse me, Vin, my name is... And at that point, I did not remember what my name was. Found it somewhere, blurted it out, said something, possibly in English, and Vin Scully beamed. I'm glad you said hello. I thought I had done something to offend you, he said. Also, I have a question I've been meaning to ask you about baseball research, so forgive me for not introducing myself to you. So... I don't think I passed out, but I sure understood why Michael was, as he put it, shaking like a leaf. Vin shortly thereafter appeared in the Dodger dugout. I brought the two of them together. We all chatted for 10 minutes. We got a picture. I got out of the way and they got a picture. We talked about Fordham, where they went to school and where I was born. And then Vin excused himself to go do an interview. And Michael Kay said, God, I'm still shaking like a leaf. That's how we all felt about him. Those of us who, with incomplete accuracy, would say we're in the same business as Vin Scully, we were, in fact, part of, to turn the phrase he always used about others who had fans and supporters, the Vin Scully Marching and Chowder Society. Because, yeah, he was the greatest broadcaster I've ever met, but more importantly, he was the nicest man in the world, and also delightfully profane when he got to trust you. And like anybody else, he could be fiercely and sometimes bitterly territorial about his broadcasts. And he had problems with certain players. And at least twice in the 1960s, he almost left the Dodgers to go home and broadcast for the Yankees. And he had doubts that he had made all the right career decisions. And unless you knew him pretty well, you would never have known any of that. And no complaint or cuss or uncertainty ever made its way into the public domain. 
And even when I had known him 30 years and had the privilege of having our visits start with a hug and end with dinner, I would still think the same thing I thought every time I ever saw him coming towards me. Well, here comes God. And there was not one moment that he acted like he was anything more than maybe a pretty good, fairly popular baseball announcer. He spent the years, all the years, between his 22nd birthday and his 89th birthday as the play-by-play announcer of the Brooklyn and then the Los Angeles Dodgers. The day he started on the job was so long ago. It was barely three years since the Dodgers' Jackie Robinson had broken the color line in baseball. There were just 16 Major League Baseball teams, and the ones furthest west and furthest south were in St. Louis, Missouri. Before the Second World War, one of those St. Louis teams had planned to move to Los Angeles, but the year Vin started, 1950. Baseball in Los Angeles still seemed like the most impractical of pipe dreams. Within eight years, it would be Vin Scully's job to introduce Major League Baseball to the nation's second largest metropolitan area, and in large part, also to prevent the Dodgers, who just moved in, from moving out. They almost did. There was a referendum vote on whether or not to give them the land for their new stadium in Los Angeles, and it was really close. And it was Vin Scully's sincere and smiling salesmanship that helped, yes, to win narrowly. And then there are the many recordings, still extant of games in that new field, Dodger Stadium, from the 1960s and 1970s. And if the recording you hear is of the visiting team's announcers, you will hear, for the length of the game, something that sounds like a very distant, very melodic public address system. It was thousands of transistor radios held by fans to their ears, and all of them tuned to Vin Scully. It was not a Dodger game unless you were listening to Vin Scully, even if you were at the Dodger game. And that did not end in the 1970s. Between 2008 and 2014, while visiting L.A., I went to a bunch of games at Dodger Stadium with a big Dodger fan named Jason Bateman. I would bring my scorebook. He would bring his earpiece so he could listen to Vin Scully streaming. We talked during the commercial breaks. On the occasion of Vin's retirement in 2016, I wrote a long piece for GQ magazine about the importance of not viewing him as a saint. I told as many of the inside stories I could of the delightful day he compared a player's haircut to that of Charles Manson, the mass murderer, of his wonderful swearing about a Dodger player and the reporter who broke up the player's marriage, of his inability to stomach the people at Fox TV who tried to make his broadcast, as he said, look just like Pittsburgh's, and their decision to remove his friend Keith from the national baseball broadcasts. I can't tell all the stories here, but the article is online and the stories are pretty good because, well, it was Vin Scully. The Charles Manson clip, I still have that on my phone. I last saw Vin late in his last season, 2016, the year he retired. We took a picture, and as happy as I am to see him in that picture, he looks happier to see me. And while some of that basic, deep, abiding goodness in this man was not 
forced, not fake, not embellished, but maybe a little managed, that part was 100% 24-7 real honest Vin Scully. He was happy to see you. Friend, co-worker, player, fan, usually a fan about to pass out, which I saw nearly happen when I introduced a friend of mine to him in 1991. Grown man, well, it's nice to meet you, Andy. Andy collapsed backwards towards a wall in the ballpark and somehow managed to stay upright and conscious. Finn Scully stayed in touch with me by email. I'm so proud of that. My last exchange with him was in 2020 as the life of his beloved wife, Sandy, ebbed away. Every time, every time I sent him birthday wishes or I just checked in or when he wrote me, it was as if I had done him some kind of honor. One email, all caps, I have preserved them all, reads, Hi, Keith. I'm at that age when I think of someone, I try to make contact with him. Happy Easter. Blessings. Vin. Blessings, Vin. That was him. What a wonderful habit to adopt. A friend comes to mind, you reach out. Imagine my thrill to see an email from his Dodgers team address, which I guess I can now reveal was simply red. There is one story I wrote about for GQ that I love to tell about Vin Scully above all the others, and I feel like I should tell it here. In August 1991, I was watching from my TV station in L.A. It was a hot night. The Dodgers were in Cincinnati, and Vin Scully mistakenly announced on the air that Gil Hodges was at bat for the Dodgers when, in fact, it was Mike Sosha. Gil Hodges had retired in 1963. He had died in 1972, just went into the Baseball Hall of Fame. The L.A. newspapers then began to wonder if Vin Scully had lost it. 1991. He retired in 2016. Anyway, on the next night's broadcast, Vin appeared on camera mid-game and explained what happened. This is roughly how I remember it. There is no tape. I think I'm doing him justice. He said, more or less, I had been thinking of the late Gil Hodges. If you don't know, Gil Hodges was a great Dodger first baseman and my great friend and a great man who was taken from us far too soon. And, like Mike Sosha, Gil wore number 14. And it was awfully hot in that booth. And for some reason, instead of saying 2 and O to Sosha, I said 2 and O to Hodges. But I think the weather and the uniform number were not the only reasons I confused them. Mike reminds me a lot of my friend Gil. And like Gil, I think he may be a fine Major League Manager someday. Anyway, I just wanted to apologize for the mistake. Beautiful there. Then the game reappeared on the camera, and Vin paused, speaking off camera, and he said something that still takes my breath away. I wish I could bring Gil Hodges back that easily. I am agnostic about an afterlife, but I will confess I frequently hope with all my heart that there is one, and this is one of those days. So Vin can be reunited with family members whom tragedy took too early from him, 
And all those players, like Gil Hodges and Jackie Robinson, who saw in him what we who watched or listened or had the privilege to really know him also could say, here is this deeply decent, brilliantly talented man, and the last person to claim either of those descriptions for himself, here is my friend, Vince Scully. So, blessings, Vin. I wish I could bring you back that easily. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's list is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big, small, indoor, outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled pros to get the job done well. Listen, I've got a couple of things in a bathroom in my house. Got to get it fixed. I don't have time, and I'm not good at it. Angie is. In just a few taps in the Angie app or clicks on the site. You can have Angie tackle your home service project start to finish. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects really easy. Renters, you can use Angie too for moving, installations, or cleaning. Angie can even help with extremely specific projects. Just tell them what you need, and Angie will find the right solution for you. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com, or download the app today. It's hard enough that a baseball season has begun for the first time since 1949 without Vin Scully either announcing games or still here to enjoy them with us and to remind us what there is within the games to enjoy. But then on February 16th of this year, the pain doubled. Tim McCarver, very probably the best former player ever to become a baseball announcer, died as well. Like Vin Scully, he had been a friend of mine for decades, and like Vin, he once resuscitated my flagging affections for the game itself. In memory of Tim McCarver. (laughs) 
When I was 24 years old and working as a sports correspondent for CNN in New York, I reluctantly admitted to myself that my affection for baseball was failing. I had seen my childhood team, the Yankees, rise from the ashes to win two World Series, and I was in the stands in Boston as they completed the greatest midseason comeback in the game's history. But the Yankees' perpetual churn had exhausted me, and five seasons of having to go to baseball games as a professional rather than just wanting to go to them as a fan had left me bored And one night after work in April or May of 1983, I was sitting in my little apartment in New York, finding nothing to watch, even on the cable system, offering the world's widest assortment of channels, 50 of them. And I somehow landed back on the New York station Channel 9, where as the hapless New York Mets were cavorting on my screen, two men were laughing uncontrollably. I mean, I came in from Channel 8 or Channel 10, and the first thing I saw was the ball game at Shea Stadium, and the first thing I heard was these two guys laughing. No words, no explanation, no self-control, just laughing. Well, that was different. I had never in my life been a fan of the New York Mets. I grew up Yankee. And even as that had begun to wane, I was not going to become a Mets fan. I didn't hate them. At age 10, I was overjoyed when my dad was able to get us two tickets to a Mets 1969 World Series game. And I had seen the Mets on TV hundreds of times before, but never to watch them. And yet there I was, having voluntarily stayed in rapt attention to a Mets telecast for 20 or 30 seconds now, as these two guys laughed their heads off. Eventually, they settled down. And Ralph Kiner, in his 22nd season as a Mets announcer, said something to Tim McCarver in, like, his 22nd day as a Mets announcer about how neither of them should ever try to say that again. Just then, the inning ended. McCarver said, the Mets are retired in the third, and management may very well retire Ralph and me during the commercial. We'll be right back. Or not. Well, now I had to watch. By the next inning, by the time Tim McCarver, whom the Mets had hired away from the Philadelphia Phillies the previous winter, had explained the name that he and Ralph Kiner so butchered that they dissolved into laughter, I was a Tim McCarver fan. The Mets were awful that year. Promising, but still the second worst team in baseball. They had not finished last or next to last in seven years. And laughing during their broadcast for any reason was better than paying attention to their games. And yet it quickly dawned on me that I was not only laughing along with McCarver and Kiner, but also I was paying attention to the game. It was as if I were sitting with these two guys in the stands somewhere, and we were enjoying what we could of the 1983 Mets, with McCarver in particular pointing out something subtle on the field that I would have otherwise missed. And in a much larger sense, we, McCarver, Kiner, and the viewer, we were sitting there enjoying the fact of baseball. The individual game always mattered to Tim McCarver, but where it fit into the jigsaw puzzle of that season's games, or into the vaster jigsaw puzzle of all the games he'd ever seen, all the games there had ever been, that was far more important. 
Well, before the week was out, I was a Met fan because of Tim McCarver. And my dying baseball fandom had been resuscitated because of Tim McCarver. As of 1983, very few baseball broadcasts, in fact, very few sportscasts, were interesting to watch as television programs. Tony Kubek had done the baseball game of the week and was crisp and informative, and he enjoyed himself, and he taught me and other kids and adults what to look for. But Vin Scully had only returned to the national baseball stage that same year, 1983. And Bob Costas had only become the backup on NBC's Game of the Week the year before. Baseball television was, if not a desert, a really arid place. Tim McCarver was never arid. He was happy to criticize any player or any manager at any time for strategical or logistical malfeasance. But he was also happy to underline whenever he was wrong and they were right. You can't shade the defense that way and throw him a fastball in that situation. He'll put it over the fence. If seconds after that, the batter hit not a home run, but a soft liner to the shortstop, whose location McCarver had just criticized, Tim's self-flagellation would be short and exact. Or maybe you can. I'll try to stop managing from up here now. Usually, of course, he was exactly right. About 15 years ago, he kind of fell out of favor with some fans and some critics because the freshness of his approach as of 1983, tell the viewer not just what happened, but what's going to happen next, and what's going to happen after that, and what's going to happen after that. That had been imitated by every baseball analyst and indeed by every TV sports analyst and by a lot of sportscasters in studios. And a lot of the imitators were younger and smoother and with a less pronounced accent. And as is inevitable with time, they had become faster. Lost in that is that they all were and are Tim McCarver imitators. McCarver rose quickly in baseball TV. He went right from the Philadelphia Phillies active roster and he was a great catcher to announcing for the Phillies and occasionally for NBC in 1980, then to the Mets in 1983, as I mentioned, and ABC Sports in 1984, and his first of 23 World Series in 1985. When CBS got baseball in 1990, they hired him. I was at the CBS station in Los Angeles and got to interview him. I predicted that the underdog Cincinnati Reds would win the World Series in 1990 and maybe even sweep, and McCarver said, I think that way too. I was afraid to say it. I thought I was the only one. When CBS lost baseball in 1994, ABC rehired him. When Fox got baseball in 1996, they hired him away. And all that time, he was also doing full seasons in New York with the Mets. And when the Mets hesitated to bring him back, the Yankees grabbed him in 1999. And he was their lead announcer, play-by-play -play man, and a good one for three seasons. I had met Tim McCarver when he was going from player to announcer at the 1980 World Series. I was startled to see him on the field at Veterans Stadium in Philadelphia carrying the latest volume of Martin Gilbert's series of biographies of Winston Churchill. I introduced myself and I said I had just finished that book and hoped he enjoyed it as much as I had. He asked me how I thought it compared to Churchill's dozens of volumes of his own autobiography. Well, I said, there are fewer of them. McCarver laughed loudly. Good, this is heavy enough on the plane, he said. 
And when in 1983 I became a McCarver fan and got to tell him so, he immediately asked me if there were things he could improve on. Well, I gave him some technical voice tips and told him not to worry too much about them, that he was really pretty good at it as it was. And I said, I suppose this had begun when he was with the 1965 St. Louis Cardinals. They had 35 players on the team that year, 25 of them making the roster for most of the season. Eventually, of those 35, McCarver became a broadcaster, and his teammates Bill White and Lou Brock became broadcasters, and Kurt Flood and Mike Shannon and Bob Euchre and Bob Gibson and Nelson Bryles, and they would all become baseball announcers. And then their teammate Dick Grote would become a basketball announcer, and their teammate Bob Perky would become a local sportscaster in Pittsburgh. That's 10 out of 35. McCarver said, on the team bus, it was a life and death struggle to be heard. I got to work again with Tim McCarver on a regular basis at Fox. In 1999 and 2000, I was the host of Fox's pregame show for the Game of the Week, that Tim did with Joe Buck every Saturday, and also the pregame show host of our coverage of the playoffs in the World Series. Mid-season, I would appear in their broadcast from the studio doing highlights of other games, and then in October, I would literally be in one of the team dugouts. I am proud to say that in the former role, I once managed to reduce Tim McCarver to silence. On June 17th, 2000, Tim and Joe Buck were doing the game of the week from Dodger Stadium in Los Angeles, and I was, as usual, in the L.A. studio doing the highlights for them, watching all the games simultaneously on an array of televisions stacked one atop the other. In the fourth inning at Yankee Stadium, the Yankee second baseman Chuck Knobloch, whose defensive play had been deteriorating for more than a year, charged a softly hit ground ball and tried to throw it back behind him to first base. He not only did not come close to first base, but the throw, in fact, bounced off the top of the Yankees' dugout and hit a fan in the stands. Now, I knew Yankee Stadium intimately. I had more or less grown up there, and I knew if the ball had not hit somebody in the season ticket seats that my family had had there since 1976, it had come close. Probably hit my mother, I said to the stage crew. Everybody laughed, and then the Yankees broadcast cut to a shot of the afflicted fan holding her head and being attended to by stadium staff. It was my mother. Nobody laughed. So... Moments later, after I'd gotten her on the phone, when Buck and McCarver threw to me for a Fox game break, I narrated that exact highlight, and I said that Chuck Knobloch's throwing problems had now gotten personal, that he had now hit my mother. We showed her. Her glasses are broken, Joe and Tim, and she's going home, but I've just spoken to her. She's okay. Joe? Tim? There was silence. I mean, a lot of silence. Finally, Tim McCarver said, what? Huh? Is that? I'm speechless. Is that one of Keith's jokes? Keith, are you still there? Was that really your mother? I'm here, Tim. My my goodness, is she? What are the odds? Tim, she's been going to Yankee games since 1934, and nothing bad has ever happened to her before today. I'd say the odds are pretty good. But is she? She's, she's fine. She'll be back in that same seat tomorrow. She's a gamer. Oh, and she asked me to tell you she likes you better now that you're with the Yankees and not the Mets. After that, I never saw Tim McCarver without him asking how my mother was. In fact, he called me after the, his game ended that day to make sure. After my mother passed away, Tim would say he had been thinking of her.
Nobody I know who knew Tim McCarver personally could recall a difficult experience with him. He was a sweet man who enjoyed himself, enjoyed baseball, enjoyed broadcasting, enjoyed talking, enjoyed listening, enjoyed meeting you, enjoyed singing. He put out a jazz album, and he saved my love for baseball when it nearly died, literally 40 years ago. And one last thing. Tim McCarver said something once on a baseball broadcast that is, to my mind, the greatest piece of predictive analysis I have ever heard in any sport, possibly in any realm in television, politics, news, the weather, but definitely sports. And it wasn't just that he pointed out what everybody else in the stadium had seemingly missed, including a manager who had just led his team to three consecutive World Series championships. It was when he said it. This was in the bottom of the ninth inning of the seventh game of the World Series in literally the last seconds of the most emotional two months of the most emotional baseball season ever. This was on November 4th, 2001. As in a horror film or a disaster movie, there was just enough time for one person and one person alone to see that the monster was not dead or that the dam would not hold. And in this case, that person was Tim McCarver. And this audio from the Fox broadcast of that World Series game, it's not slick. It doesn't sound scripted. There are no catchphrases. It isn't hip. It isn't full of metrics. It merely predicts the exact outcome to the inch of the play that would decide and end the entire baseball season seconds afterwards. The chance of a lifetime for Luis Gonzalez. 2-2, bottom of the ninth, game seven of the World Series. Bases loaded, infield in, one out, strike one. Rivera throws inside the left-handers, and left-handers get a lot of broken bad hits in the shallow outfield, the shallow part of the outfield. That's the danger in bringing the infield in with a guy like Rivera on the mound. Louis Gonzalez's hit landed exactly where Tim McCarver had said the Yankees should have had their infielders playing, but didn't. When I saw Tim the next season, I said this to him, and I said this about him to every TV writer who asked, that that was the Bill Mazeroski World Series winning home run of all baseball analysis ever. And so in the last 20 years, whenever it was my privilege to see Tim McCarver at a ballpark, he would always say two things to me as if he were saying them to me for the first time. He would say, thank you, Keith, for what you said about 2001. And Keith, I was just thinking of your dear mother.
Thank you for listening. Here are the credits. Most of the music was arranged, produced, and performed by Brian Ray and John Philip Chanel, who are the Countdown musical directors. All orchestration and keyboards by John Philip Chanel. Guitars, bass, and drums by Brian Ray. Produced by TKO Brothers. Other Beethoven selections have been arranged and performed by the group No Horns Allowed. The sports music is the Olbermann theme from ESPN2, written by Mitch Warren Davis, courtesy of ESPN. Musical comments by Nancy Faust, the best baseball stadium organist ever. Everything else is pretty much my fault. That's countdown for this, the 820th day since Donald Trump's first attempted coup against the democratically elected government of the United States. Keep arresting him while we still can. The next scheduled countdown is tomorrow. And until then, I'm Keith Olbermann. Good morning, good afternoon, good night, and good luck. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.